Hey, this is Ryan Sexton from The Customers, and you are listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to episode number 31 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are conversations and new music with Martin Zeller, Ryan Sexton of The Customers, and Michael Nelson and Chris Larson from Hollow Country. I'm your host, Mark Sterry. Chuck me up MarkSterryMusic.com, and thank you for supporting live and local music. Hey, this is Michael Nelson. And this is Chris Larson. And we are Hollow Country. And you are listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How you move along, it's not that you get over it. Taken by the undertow, love still needs a That was the song Stars by Hollow Country. Hear from them later in the program. Next up, Martin Zeller talks about his new album, Head West. Afterwards, hear the song Better Off Apart. Martin Zeller, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Martin? Excellent. Thanks for having me. And we are Zooming 
I'm in St. Paul. And where are you right now? I am uh, in San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato, Mexico. Wow. What's the weather like down there? It's a rainy, cold day here in St. Paul. Uh, well, I hate to even tell you, but it's like basically it's between 70 and 80, 365 days a year here. Oh, man. It is gorgeous. Looks so just I think awesome. It's, it's, it's lovely. Let Do you ever? Here. I can tell you. Let, let okay. me give you the exact. Oh, it's seventy-nine. <laughs> nice. So. Do you ever miss those Minnesota, Austin, Minnesota winters? No, I love Minnesota. Um, I really do, and I mean, we still keep a place there, and I'm up there plenty in the winter. But I definitely don't miss January and February specifically. Yeah, that is the worst. Um, well, congratulations on a new record coming out, Head West. First of all, when did you start working on this record? Uh, not that long, actually, because I, we recorded most of it at uh, a home studio here, my home studio here, which hasn't even been finished for a year. So um, we waited. my son came down over the holidays, and we got a, a lot of it done then. So, yeah, uh, maybe six months ago. Wow. So I was going to ask you, so I was looking at the the uh, uh, liner notes, and you had Nick on there, Ciola Scott, Allie G. Um, how do you record remotely? Like, how what's your process of doing that? So do you lay down a track, like an acoustic track, and then you send it up to them, they go to a studio? How do you set up your songs having all these people scattered all over the, the world? Well, um, I, I, no, I don't record. We recorded most of those parts back in Minnesota. Okay. Um, my son and I, my son Wilson played every guitar part on the album. Um, I mean, I didn't touch a guitar. He took my acoustic demos and he listened to my parts and he kind of replicated the uh, rhythm parts that I had down and then added everything else. Um, we recorded the drums really quickly up there in Minneapolis at uh, Boom Island recording, which, and then brought those back. And Wilson and I just started recording over them and then went back and had, we had some of the overdubs, uh, cheese in, at my uh, son's like apartment area. They have a little rehearsal room in the basement. And then I went down to Austin, Texas and used a couple of musicians down there too. Does Wilson play in a band? He does. Uh, he plays in a, a band called Dad Bod, who have been are doing really, really well. They've got a they're in the current Hall of Fame so far this year for and most airplay. Um, so now I got to compete with that. Nice. Do they ever cover <laughs> any of your songs? Oh no, no way. <laughs> they're a, they're a very they're a. Uh, they're a very hipster college kind of band. Okay. Um, Wilson is going to slum it with me for a couple of months. He's going to be uh, my guitar player on tour for um, October, November. Luke is going to, has been very cool. He understands it's like that Wilson played all the parts on the album. So it makes sense for Wilson to do the, the tour, the both the Midwest and national tour dates. 
where are some cool places or some places you're looking forward to playing on the upcoming tour promoting the record? Actually, the way I tour now, it's not like the old days. We, uh, you know, it's Randy from the Gear Daddies is touring with us, which I just couldn't be happier about. There's quite a bit of pedal steel on the album, so it made sense to have him do the tour. And Nick and Scott, and then, you know, Wilson's the only whippersnapper on, so it's like we're too old to do the old thing where you're playing every night. You know, back in the day, you'd play quote-unquote the major markets and then try to fill up anything between well we're just kind of eliminating the between dates so i'm looking forward to all of them i mean we're just doing uh kansas city dallas austin phoenix la san francisco on on this one and then oh and lagrange texas is a very cool singer songwriter listening room there that uh so I'm excited about that because it's their pedigree is pretty cool. And I look at who's played there. It's like, oh, it's a lot of my favorite singer-songwriters. So That's awesome. What cities around the country, like, really are big fans of yours besides, like, Minneapolis? What's some of your big cities you look forward to hitting where you got a lot of fans? Well, Chicago is big, but uh, Phoenix, Austin, Texas is big. Phoenix is big. L.A. is big. And my son just pointed out to me, I forgot. We, My son did the last, Wilson did the last West Coast tour I did too. And I had mentioned that I'm like, I don't know what we're going to get for a crowd in San Francisco. Because, well, you know, it was packed last time we were there, and I forgot that. So apparently <laughs> we do well in San Francisco too. What inspired you to start writing this record? You know, not really uh, reading more than more than listening i did so much reading over the covid break i had so much uninterrupted time more than more than i've ever had in my life which is which i think was the biggest factor on this album and then having my own studio was a huge game changer for me but reading has always sort of kickstarted the creative process for me so it was more it was more reading than than listening that kind of got me going on this what books in particular uh oh man i'm all over the place i mean i i if i had to pick my favorite author it would be cormac mccarthy who actually gets a reference in one of the songs and this was before he passed so it just happened to work out that way but i yeah i was i was actually reading a lot of you know, I guess you'd describe it as lighter stuff over Zoom because I was, I just needed, I needed any escape in my head. Things were just so messed up that I, I kind of moved towards more lighter stuff than I normally would uh, over COVID, but I mixed it up. Okay. Um, so let's talk about some of the tracks on the record, Head West, um, some of the ones that, that stood out, and maybe tell the story behind the song, if that's cool, like what you're thinking when you came up the lyrics or how you tracked it, that kind of stuff, if that's okay. Um, well, overall, I mean, honestly, so the album's titled Head West, which is the, ti- the, ti- the title tracks, the opening tracks called Head West, and that's what led me to name the album that. And it wasn't until I was listening to the album in its entirety that I realized there are three references to heading west on the album. And I hadn't, I had, honest to God, 
not notice that until listening to it. So it seems like it was faded to be called Head West. Um, that kind of, I think the the inspiration for the song Head West, like goes all the way back to high school, and it actually addresses sort of my seasonal affective disorder. My really winters have always just absolutely devastated me. Deep winter when there's not sunshine. I love snow. Snow's fantastic. It's magical, and I guess to have to drive in it or shovel it, but I still love snow. And as I mentioned, I love Minnesota. My wife and I are both from Austin, Minnesota. Our sons were both born in St. Paul. We're Minnesotans through and through. But anyway, from remember when I was in high school, I just would fantasize about hitchhiking my way to sunshine during those winter months. I just thought, I'm just going to go and hitchhike my way. And California was always you know, sort of the ideal. That's where I was going to head to. So that's this has been like a something that goes way back to high school. It's chasing the sunshine, basically. Um, so that was kind of the inspiration of that going all the way because I'll say this too, over COVID, I did a lot more looking back, you know, than I have in years and years and years. I mean, I'm not terribly nostalgic, but, you know, having all that time to think I did a lot more, you know, looking back and which often led to, you know, thoughts of the future as well as often happens. But so, yeah, that was the inspiration of the title track. And, uh, and then as I listened again, three different, three different references to heading West was like, Oh yeah, that was meant to be. That's obviously somewhere deep in my psyche. The idea of heading West or, more particularly, sunshine. I hear you. Um, so I've been listening to your music since I was a kid, growing up in small town Turtle Lake, Wisconsin. And I was going over listening to your new record, and I have to say, Better Off Apart, that might be one of my favorite songs you've ever written and recorded. I was blown away by that song. Um, do you mind Thank telling us about how you wrote that song, came up with that song, and about that female singer, is it Paisley or Presley Haley? Presley Hale, yep. Hale. Um, Why don't tell us about that experience? What that was that song is outstanding. Thank you. I, I actually that's definitely one of my favorites as well. Um it's the first duet I've ever written. And it's not autobiographical at all. I mean, my wife and I have been happily married for thirty four years. Um but over COVID especially, I watched a lot of uh, friends' marriages fall apart. And one of the observations I made is that, in general, one of them was absolutely, like, caught off guard by, you know, by the divorce. Like, they just hadn't seen it coming. And the other one had had changed in some way that all of a sudden that, they came to that realization that maybe they had moved too far apart and that that might have something to do again with so much time on your hands to think and maybe just realizing when you have to spend that much time with someone that maybe you weren't as in love with them as, as you thought you were. I don't know. I can't even put my, uh, I can't even put myself there and try and, and, and understanding what it was. I, you had to try, but 
I am absolutely, this is in my head. This is maybe this is what, but, um, so it was based on some things that I was watching going on around me. And I had a couple, uh, uh, female singers in mind, but as it turned out, both of them were going through changes in their relationship that would have made it odd for them to be, for them to be the other singer. Uh, so two, my first, I guess you'd say two choices had to, were eliminated. And then the third one, I was going to go down to, I was going down to Austin, Texas, and I was looking for a country, a country voice. And so my friend who owns the studio and his uh, engineer, I just said, Pat, you have any recommendations for a female singer? And he immediately said, oh, I've got the perfect person. I explained what I was looking for, kind of a country twang. And so Presley is a native Texan, I think goes way back. Uh, Our family goes way back in Texas. And I had never met her before, and I had honestly never heard her. I had, I didn't even go online to uh, listen, but Pat, I've known Pat many, many years and recorded with him over the years quite a few times. And immediately when he uh, made the suggestion, I'm like, cool, call her and see if she's available. And she was, and I, I owe him for that. I have no doubt that my other choices would have been fantastic too, but... As it turned out, it kind of moved down until hit Presley, and, and she's fantastic. And I'm very, very happy. I got to, you know, turn down to her by Pat. That's outstanding. I absolutely love that song. Um, when I was thinking of. I should, when I, I should point out, sorry to interrupt, but I should point out too that Presley, you're flying Presley up to open the CD release shows in the Twin Cities Parkway. Because that song kind of, I, I think of it as a focus track. So we really felt like it was important to, that we include those on the release, the official, you know, Twin Cities. Sorry, man. These, I don't know if you can hear them, but I've got hummingbirds. We oh, have I can hear them. <laughs> and they're just chittering behind me. We've got a couple feeders. Anyway, so Presley is uh, flying up with her partner, uh, Nick Bromley. And they're opening both the Parkway shows. And they're also going to open our show the night before at the Pioneer Place Theater in St. Cloud. That's awesome. That is awesome. I was thinking when I was listening to that, you know, knowing you wrote the song and hearing this this girl sing it. One of my favorite records is an old Rolling Stones album. They did it where it's called Stones and Blue or something like that. And they had all these these blues singers and and uh, uh, R and B singers sing all these Rolling Stone songs, and it just took on a total different life of its own. And I was wondering, I just thought of this someday. If you guys ever produced a side right, you do have a unique voice and personality yourself. Wouldn't it be cool to have you hear your songs, a whole album of your greatest hits, sung by other other musicians? Oh my God! Yeah. Well, I mean. I love to play, but if in a perfect world I'd be a songwriter, and that's it. And I, and my voice has, which has been described more than once in the past in reviews, is that it's an acquired taste. And I think part of the reason that Better Off Apart works so well is that I've 
got this person with an actually technically fantastic voice singing half the song, which, I mean, I'm not being false modest, but absolutely makes the song shine more, having that, you know, having one of my songs sung part of it lead with someone with a technically fantastic voice. But, yeah, no, I, that would be a dream for me. And, I, mean, I, if anything, I think I'd always play, or I would always play. I love playing, but not as much as I do. And I, you know, get to spend more time just writing and sitting down here and recording in my little studio. But who knows? You know, it's it's never too late, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> just that, that'd be really interesting to hear that. Uh, I'll ask you about one more song, and I'll let you get back to the Hummingbirds, I guess. Uh, how about the Storyteller kind of song, Goodbye, Wild Bill? Oh, yeah. another That's another, you know, it's a favorite. I shouldn't say favorite, but another, you know, as a songwriter, all you, the best you can hope for 99% of the time is getting fairly close to what you were trying to capture when you started it, and that's for me, it's one of the frustrating things about being a songwriter is you start out and you want to get, you know what you want to convey with the song. And in a perfect world, you want to get all the way there. And you never do. But that's one of just a couple I've written where I felt I got pretty darn close. And part of it is just, it's a true story. Um, when, uh, when we first moved to the Twin Cities, there were a bunch of us sort of outstate guys that banded together when we moved to the twin cities because we just did we felt out of place and so and we were a hard living group to say, to say the least um but that character was maybe led the pack and uh i think we know he was just a he was a sweetheart he was a, a troubled soul and um i think we all kind of knew from the get-go that probably wouldn't end well for him. Uh, and so, I mean, that literally is, that's just a, it's just a, a series of facts and with a, with a sad ending. Some great zinger lines in there too. The one that stuck out is we do three shots and he would do four or something like that. Just really paints an excellent picture. Oh yeah. And that's exactly, again, that goes right back to what I was just saying is that, you know, we were, Every one of us was just like a crazy, you know, like I said, I'll put it euphemistically and say we hit it hard. But uh, but he just somehow is the one who always amped it up just a little more than the rest of us. Awesome. And we also, the other thing about that group is as we went on, some of us, you know, got our shit together uh, and some of us didn't and uh the the lead character in that song sadly is not the only one of that gang that's gone way before the time Something's wrong 
Ryan Sexton of The Customers talks his new album, Sweet Fatality, acting in the Toxic Avenger movie, and more. Afterwards, check out the new single, Duel. Ryan Sexton of The Customers. Welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Ryan? It's really good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Rainy nice Friday afternoon. Nice to meet you, man. Where are you coming in from? I'm coming in from, uh, what do you mean, in Minneapolis? Are, in you, Minneapolis? are, you, are you talking to me from Minneapolis? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, Minneapolis. Nice. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yes, absolutely. We're here to talk about your new record, Sweet Fatality. Thank and, you. And uh, it's a good, awesome rock and roll record. you want to tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea and got started with this new record? Well, it's interesting. First thing about the title track, it's a little misleading. It sounds like Sweet Fatality, Sweet Death, whatever. It's not really like that. It's more of a kind of a lost love song and never figuring out type song. Sweet Fatality referring to... You know, the, we all have the should have been's, could have been's, would have been's, but just didn't happen been's. <laughs> so that's kind of where that goes. The songs are some of them I had I had in my back pocket for a few years. Some of them um, 
I wrote where I, I quit drinking and stuff. So I, I took some time to myself. And uh, while I was doing that, I just kind of uh, did kind of a purge of, of my, took stock of myself, whatever. And these are some of the things that came out. And they're mostly, a lot of them are, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, you know, blah, blah, blah. But some of them are just more dark and different and um, fun. Well, who's some of your favorite songwriters? Who are, well, I can tell you right now, it starts with the Beatles. But from there, it goes to Iggy Pop. Um, I'm, of course, uh, been in Minneapolis. I'm a replacements guy. Um, I love Neil Young. I have a little history with Neil Young, and I love him as a songwriter, of course. John Fogarty, I think, is is outstanding and underappreciated, even though everybody knows who he is. Um, what else can I think of? Um, so did John Prine, Bob, did Bob Dylan. A, did you play a show with Iggy Pop? I did. We opened three shows for him. And that was one of those, you know, not only bucket list, but I can be done with doing this now forever. He did a really cool thing, if I may tell about Iggy. This this was in the late 90s, and we did three shows, I think one in L.A., two in San Francisco, and two in Seattle. So maybe five shows. And um, he, w- he didn't really hang out with him or anything. But one show, he stood on the side of the stage and watched our entire set in his gold lame pants, of course, no shirt. And as we came off stage at the end of the show, he patted each one of us, shook our hands on the back, said, man, great job, great set. You know, whether he meant it or not, I don't know not, but he stood there the whole time and dug it, seemed to. So that was really, really cool of him, really fun. He broke a lot of mic stands in that show. There was a, the roadies, the roadies had a list, I have it somewhere, I took it, of a, like, they'd, get, they'd take it over under how many mic stands he'd break in the show. And, like, it would, it would be, like, five, six, because he would just jump around. This is—he was pretty much at the peak of his powers at this point, and he would just bash around. And so the mic—I got one of the mic stands. I, I had it in my room somewhere. I wish I could have showed it to the camera, but it's all bent up and mashed, and they didn't care. They go, "Yeah, take it. We got a million of them. He breaks them every night." <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome! How did you guys get that gig? Uh, well, we were signed to Neil Young's record label called Vapor Records. We we're the first band signed to it, so a lot of things, good things happened to us that probably maybe we were ahead of us and oh, maybe shouldn't have happened to us, but they did, and I'll take them. Um, I just we were on the road with uh, this band called the Mises, a really good band out of San Francisco, punk rock band. And uh, I got a call from their their lookout management, which was the management company who also kind of ran the record label. They said, "Hey, could you do three shows opening for Iggy Pop?" And he said it like, "Hey, could you come meet me at the Seven Eleven on Tuesday? I want to get some Slurpees." And we said it just like that. And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I think we can we can fit that in." <laughs> so we just got on the road. Yeah, it was fun. So are you from the cities? Then you moved to California, or what's your what's your story? Yeah, I'll nutshell this. I was I grew up in Chanhassen, and uh, I was a kid actor. Like I went to the Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis. I went to school there for acting. Was in their plays. I was in um, played Huckleberry Finn uh, in their uh, production of of that. And then I did some Chanhassen Dinner Theater, did the musicals. I did some Guthrie Shakespeare plays. And I moved to New York when I was seventeen, and I bounced around there. You know, I was a busboy, of course, but I did. Um, some soap opera work and a few, you know, whatever, appearance on television. Not a ton I could write home about. One thing I did was a movie called uh, The Toxic Avenger. And it was uh, it was totally just a non-union thing. I answered Nan the paper. And I went down and met the guy. And he, he said, yeah, you, you've got some experience. I go, well, I'm 17 and 19 at the time. And so he said, well, can you come to New Jersey this weekend? I go, yeah. <laughs> so I went to New Jersey and they gave me the script. We started filming these scenes in this uh, this Mexican restaurant, like a fast food place. We did that, and he said, "We really dig this. Is how this is going?" 
it's a schlocky film. That's all we do. We don't care if you can act really, but this is cool. You're doing the right thing. Can you come back next weekend? I said, yeah. So I stole my restaurant. I, I got to go do this movie. And, and what come movie? I go, it's a TNA movie. I don't know what it's about. So I went there next weekend, like two or three weekends I did. And it ended up being kind of a integral part of the movie. My character's name was Johnny. It was me and these little five-year-old kids. Um, I was like, like I said, 19. And uh, so I did this movie and I kind of forgot about it. It only made like 60 bucks for the whole affair. And then about three years later, I walk in Times Square and I, I see the Toxic Avenger on the screen. I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? So I, I call some people and they go, yeah, man, it's like midnight movies now. I go, okay. So I went and my mom was in town, happened to be. I go, well, we should go see it, but I don't think I want to see it with you. And no, I didn't. And she saw it because, you know, it's totally against anything she would see. But because I was her son, of course, she had the toxic picture stand-ups and her picking pictures, running back to Minneapolis, woo, you know, whatever. So then it came to kind of a cult classic. And it's still now, even now, um, there's a remake coming out. You may know of it uh, with Kevin Bacon, of all people. And it's not a remake. It's a reimagining, it's called. So that's the director I'm sure wants to. It's not like bring my part back 20 years later but um and then that actor P peter peter oh what's his name from game of thrones guy he's in it so yeah so it's kind of fun a little bit of history i'm a huge horror movie fan and i watch them and send them to friends i just watched the toxic avenger two weeks <laughs> <You> ago <lied. laughs> and i absolutely Loved it. I put it on my list of one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Okay. I've told all well, my friends to watch it. I had no idea you were in the movie when I was doing this podcast. Okay, that well, is so cool. That is that is so what part were you? I was my character's called Johnny. Like when they go in the fast food place and he's got the guns, he's holding it up. I'm one of the guys back there with a little hat on, waving my hands. And then towards the end of the movie, I appear like, you know, the Toxic Avenger ends up being a good guy. He's taking out bad people. And I end up being this group, leader of this group of kids. It was kind of embarrassing because I'm 19 and there's five-year-olds around me, like saving the monster and this big tank in the I end. Exactly I'm running out in front of the tank. Yeah, so Oh, my me. God, that is so cool. I'm also, I've never disclosed this on the podcast, but I'm also, because my great-grandmother watched it, and also my buddy Dave Burkhardt, I will drop that. I do watch Bold and the Beautiful Soap Opera. So can you tell me about your experiences working in the soap opera? And Young and the Restless, I like that one too. What oh soap God, opera were you on? I was coming on Dr. Laura here. I didn't know. Well, let's get it out there, man. Um, I was on General Hospital, and I wasn't like a contract player, but I had some main roles as like they do a whenever they need a cop they'd have me and then i was on enough that they call me and i was just a cop called office officer shyler i was in the days of scorpio um and I, I forget the name of the characters i remember the actress was finola hughes fell in love with her she was just beautiful and she, she was in that saturday night live the second movie of saturday night what it was i think it was called staying alive maybe uh so she, and she was quite a good actress and tristan rogers was scorpio and i forgot ian buchanan played a character on, you know, it was in that era, like late 80s, 90s. And then what happened was, whatever the family's called, the Quartermains or whatever, they wrote in a character like a Quartermain's son, and he looked a lot like me. And, uh, and then I called the cast director one day when they didn't call me for a while. I go, are you not calling me because I look like this kid, and the, this Quartermain kid? And they go, well, kind of, Ryan, I'm sorry. I go, okay, I've done it, you know. It's a lot of hurry up and wait, man. You get up at 5, 6, you go, you sit there, drink coffee, and eat donuts. And then, you you know, getting the job is doing it, doing it. Uh, getting the job is the thing. Doing it is kind of anticlimactic. Oh, my God. You've lived a pretty fascinating life here, Ryan, just a little bit just meeting you. 
Um, I suppose we should go well, back I, to I, your, I, Well, ahead. no, I should throw this in. Uh, do you know of a band called The Mentors? Yeah. The They're like the most foul band of all time, aren't they? Y- yes. I got a VHS camera. I don't know how much time you have, but can I tell a little at Luce? Yeah. Mentors business? Oh yeah, so God. I... I was fascinated. This friend of mine, Tim Kirk, who's now a producer, he produced this movie called Room 237, which is about different uh, weird theories of uh, Kubrick's um, The Shining. Shining. Yeah. So different other he's he's done some really cool documentaries as a producer. Anyway, so he and I kind of hung out. I did. He was a film student. I acted in a couple of films, whatever. We hung out, drink beer, whatever. And he said, Ryan, have you heard this band Mentors? Is like, I go, no, what is that? I'm not really into metal. They showed me the titles of the back of the record. I go, oh, my fuck. Who are these guys? He goes, I don't know, man. I go, we got to find them. And so we found them in this little, uh, like, crack house. But it was like more of a heroin house in Hollywood. And I said, are you ready for this? And he said, yeah, because the, the bass player was actually a Harvard, like Ivy League educator, Dr. Heathen Scum. And he said, yeah, come on down, man. So me and Tim went down there. We were both scared. El Duce comes out in this pirate hat and this leopard skin outfit. They're recording there. God, of course, he's hammered. He's got an old English 40 ounce. And I'm doing these interviews. With him. First, it was kind of a joke. And then I kind of became friends with El Duce. And he was homeless. And I lived in an apartment in, in Hollywood. And I'd have him sleep on my couch and stay, you know, and it was like, you're having that guy stay at your house? I go, he's a nice man. He's just, he's it's all, it's all fake, you know, it's all what he does. He's hilarious, too. So I followed him around my VHS camera for like three years. And then I had this VHS tape, one get something to do with it. I was, one time I was going to do something with it. I never did. Anyway, so Tim, who now has some clout because he's a producer, called me up one day. He says, let's do this mentor business. I go, okay. He goes, let's make it about El Duce. I go, you're reading my mind. So I sent them all. I digitized all the VHSs. I sent them to them. They're all VHS. And we made a movie called The El Duce Tapes. And it's on Prime now, Amazon Prime. So you can watch it. I'm the guy interviewing El Duce and hanging out with him. And uh, he became quite an important part of my life, I have to say, because I was so fascinated by him as a person and this thing he did. And nobody appreciated it was El Duce. Let's all make fun of El Duce. But he was a person. He was abused as a kid. And instead of I came at it like, hey, let's get him to say, you know, women and, you know, whatever and screwing babes. I wanted to know what he was like as a person and because he was so different. And uh, I got to some of that. And that's in the movie. So I'm pro- I should be talking about my record, but I'm talking about the El Duce tapes. Oh, this is fascinating. I will watch that. One of my dearest friends in the world, Clyde Bailey, if he's listening when I put this out, is a huge Mentors fan. It makes me watch oh, cool. that all the time. I'm sure he's watched that movie. I will watch that on Prime. That is outstanding. Do you get, like, if you get something on Prime, do you get, like, a lot of money for that? No, really nothing. It's um, Tim, you know, I think they made they made money with, you know, it's cost enough money that to make it back. You know, it's not like the kind of movie or documentary that's going to make a bunch of money. So I haven't seen any money from it, but I'm just glad it got out there. And I'm glad his story got out in a way that's kind of, I think, different and cool instead of just the usual, you know, schlock and chalk and gross and blood yeah. and whatever. Uh, you mind talking about your experience playing on Conan O'Brien? That was uh, another one of those things that probably happened before we should have been there. But uh, well, again, I'll take it. Um, that was one of those things. I was funny. I was just reading about the, the, the replacements record come out, the remastering of Tim. You know, everybody's talking about, which is awesome, by the way, if you if you're into it or haven't heard it. But I then threw out the clips. I read the Bob Stinson's kind of recollection of when they were on uh, Saturday Night Live, the fame, but when they got banned from it. Our Conan experience wasn't that much deb- debauchery filled, but it was sort of similar in that you get there in the morning. And you're there, and they couldn't really give us a bunch of beer, but we did. They brought us a couple of 12-packs, and they couldn't take us out for it. But they somehow we snuck it in, and we had – so we were drinking before the show, not tons, you know, because we kind of 
we're 30, we recognize that this is kind of cool and we should not fuck it up. So, um, sorry, I cursed there. So oh, we this is totally got, fine, man. Okay. So we got on, we got on stage for the run through and they literally do it. They run through the song twice, mainly it's for the director in the, up to, so he can see where the lead is. So they can cut to that. They want to cut where the chorus is, where the vocals are, blah, blah, blah. Maybe for that. Ran through it twice. It was cool. Conan was very nice. Uh, tall. I'm six foot one or whatever. He's like six four. And you can see when he shakes my hand at the end of the clip. If you ever see the clip on YouTube. But um, just very gracious, nice, uh, professional. Uh, Andy Richter was there. Just not, not, not a lot of fanfare. It was really uh, just kind of a ball business for them. Uh, for us, of course, it was really fun, you know. And then uh, we did it then at five, and then you got to wait around till midnight or whenever it was, and then watch it in the hotel room. And that was just a blast. Another amazing experience. Ryan, I could talk to you for days. <laughs> Your stories. We have my number I'm now. I love, I love talking about this shit. I am having an absolute blast talking to you. Uh, we should talk about your record a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's get to it. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of it, by the way. And Kevin Bow, a recent podcast guest, he produced it, right? Yep. Did yep. you track it at his house? One of the smart things I did was, yeah, he has a studio at his house. He calls it the Kill Room, and it's it's very low key. It's like a living room, but he got a really a cool studio with a microphone cost like eighty million dollars. So we uh, we tracked it there, and he kind of had to hold my hand a little bit because I hadn't done this in a while, and. Um, he would just say, okay, let's do this. What song? I'm like, well, don't we need to practice, talk about it? He goes, no, this, this, are you ready? So he, we just started laying things down, laying things down. And the thing about it, I didn't have a band for him because it hadn't been kind of broken up a little bit, but it was still my songs, so it would still be the customers. And so I was able to kind of pick some really cool people. And people like, how did, like Dan Murphy from Formerly a Soul Asylum plays a lot on it. He sings background. He was more interested in singing background than playing on it. And then uh, Terry Isaacson, Terry Fisher from One Must You Run, he's now in the band, actually. He came and played track in a song. Um, uh, Patricia Lacey, who was Luther Vandross's main uh, main person, backup singer back in the day, she's on a track. So it's really fun. And the songs are disparate enough, written different at different times enough that the the record has a lot of flavor to it. Uh, I, think, I think it's <clears throat> the single One Delight, and we chose that because it kind of is a really good microcosm with a, this record kind of sounds like but it doesn't nail how the record is um so we just did it like song by song and we just track you know and he just works in a way like what do we have the next thing like well he's we're available this day you know getting schedules together and um he's awesome drummer peter anderson from one must you run he plays on three tracks a drummer noah levy who just toured with solo asylum he's got a ton of credits he's unparalleled again and ian prince Big guy hits hits harder than a motherfucker. Just, so we were able to pick for all these guys what what um, what songs would be best for each guy. So I think it really came out great. Mix Kevin mixed it. He's a really excellent mixer. Um, he's really that's I I think he he tells himself short on his job. What he how he does is mixing a record because it's coming. I put so much shit on it. He, I'm like, where are you gonna how are you gonna mix this? He goes, well, we'll figure it out. And he would just spend time with it. Go here. What do you think of this? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> all right, man, let's go. How so you, yeah, I'm very proud of it. It sounds like super expensive. Uh, you know, I saved some money from it. When you sweaty when you when you quit drinking and doing drugs, you can actually put a couple dollars away without living a extravagant life. That's what I heard. <laughs> so you just mentioned the song One Delight. Can I ask you about a couple other songs? Like kind of the story sure. behind the songs, and I'll play them on the show. Yep. How about yep. number two duel, that guitar mid tempo rock and roller? Yeah, duel. Um the one where we were thinking about what kind of leadership, well, what Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers do? And he goes, oh, great, now I know. <laughs> so it's just a very simple, straightforward. It's one of the, uh, 
you know, you finish a song and it's never quite right. The lyrics aren't quite right or something. You work on, you work on it. Sometimes you just have to let it go. That was one that just came and everything kind of fell into place exactly as it should. It's kind of opaque. It's not really direct. It's just kind of this notion of facing down things, whether it's a relationship or an addiction or something like that. I mean, it doesn't, I don't want you to think, people to think too much about it. But when you listen to it, it'll mean everybody has something that they can relate to about having to face something like a duel when you just really literally take, you don't know what's going to happen and it's fear, just filled with fear. So I liked the uh, metaphor of that concept. Very quick, just two quick verses in and out. Um, so that's that's one of the more powerful songs in the record, I think. How about Collide and Cry? That's where I heard your replacements kind of references in that song. Well, it's funny, I'll tell that inside baseball story. I got Danny Murphy and he worked on that. He heard something that was really, he thought from my voice, this is how this guy works, man. He spends an hour and a half to try to get the right tone. You don't see that anymore with all the mechanics and stuff like that. He'll just have his amp, and he won't do it till it's right, man. He's a pro. And um, <clears throat> he he suggested we put a capo on it, and I don't use capo as much. He goes, I think it's really fit your voice. And we did that, and it worked like butter. And I was like, <laughs> all right. And he also had this notion of the way the riffers started, he goes, well, let's, if we bring the capo on, it might bring it a little bit more out of the Color Me Impressed era, which I thought, yeah, busted. It sounds like replacement C, Hootenanny era type uh, Color Me Impressed song. So, you know, anytime I'm not I'm walking away from that, I'm really proud of my replacement C influences, but um, he just thought it would make it more me, the song, and it did. And it's, and it's a really, he came up with this really cool Joy Division, like, like New Order kind of power pop riff, though, too. That's one I, I, I kind of want to, maybe do a video for it because i think that needs to be heard more i agree and as far as far as the lyrics and stuff it's just just a whole mess of nothing like if you've ever been in a relationship where you don't know what the fuck is going on you think you do but you don't and she thinks she does but she doesn't and it's just but you're together and you just do things and you know and also she's like i talk about a free spirit in the song and i always feel like i'm kind of canned in a little bit so i i get jealous of people that just said fuck it let's do this tonight and i don't care what people think and i i've been with people like that before and that's always a, a kind of an envious so i want a little bit of that in there too just kind of a little who the fuck is this woman and but she sounds fun and what are you doing <laughs> you know so it's not a you know <laughs> i hate you bitch song it's like well i kind of wish i could Hang with you. I maybe I can. Wish I could. Anyway, so collide and cry is just kind of the notion of that's what you do all the time. I love it. What's some? Uh, what are you playing? Some shows? I know you're playing the Driftwood. Any other shows coming up this fall, we, winter? The Driftwood actually happened last week. It was sort of a record release, even though the record has been out in the summer. So that we kind of got that out of the way, just because there was some. You know, just like, oh, we got a record release. So, well, it's been out. And, you know, this time it's hard to get shows. There's a lot of talent here. And people, you know, you got to work at it. So, but we do have a show November 1st at the Schooner. I don't know if you're familiar with the Schooner. It's a cool South Minneapolis bar. Um, my grandma and grandpa used to go there in the 50s and drink a, um, Tom and Jerry's on Christmas Eve. If that's a heartwarming story for you. The bar is not quite like that anymore, especially during the day. But at night, it's... Um, they got some music in there now and the people that do it really know what they're doing and that they harden it. You can tell because they get some really good acts, you know, not everybody knows who they are, but when you go, there's musicianship all around. So we're playing there November 1st. We'll do two sets. So that'll be fun. And it's free there. I think. Awesome. Um, one quick question. How would you come up with the name of the customers? Uh, people ask me that a lot. And uh, I just thought any other name, that you can't, if you suck and you have a weird name, like, you know, 
the the oil can coffee mugs, you're just going to be a band with a dumb name. Now, you could be the bare naked ladies and hit it, and then obviously your name is cool. So if you want to take that risk, you can. <clears throat> but I just thought, you know, I want music to fill a name like the police. Who would have thought that would be a good name? But you put a great band in it, and you, now you think of the police. It's not a weird name at all. And so the customers, I had that kind of notion for it. You know, we've got a ways to go before people, it's a household name, and it becomes synonymous with music. But I just didn't want to kind of pedal down, you know, and people go, well, customer's always right. And I used to joke like, yeah, yeah, you go in the bar, and the customer's always right, you know, liquor store, parking for customers only. You know, I thought I'd get cute like that when I first started out. But it's just kind of a name that doesn't really mean anything. But if we're any good, you know, the name won't hold us back. Ryan, it's been fascinating talking to you. Do you have a website or something folks can follow you on? We we do. It's just up and running now. But there's and there's there's tons there's stuff on it. There's other records on it. Yeah, it's it's um the www.thecustomersband.com. Steps and I turn around. It's a duel I'm in. Try to shoot you down. My head is turning. I've got nothing to lose. Such a shame because I'm stuck here with you. No, oh, I don't think it's right. like to take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, Mosaic Chrysler's Umbrota and the Beedale Club. This weekend I'm taking up to the wilderness of the northern woods of Wisconsin to do some deer hunting camp activities, although I don't hunt at all anymore, but I'm looking for a fun and safe time in my new black Jeep Cherokee X I got from Mosaic Chrysler's Umbrota. 
Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out the inventory at ZombrotaCDJR.com or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombrota, Minnesota, to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota today. Enjoy a safe fall season full of adventures and memories out in that open road in a new ride. Next up, the BDC 2100, the B-Dale Club, one of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area. The B-Dale Club, located in the corner counter B and Dale's motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun, and that is a stone cold truth. Uh, check out me and Johnson on Thanksgiving Eve, rocking down to the BDC for annual Thanksgiving Eve bash. Should be a lot of fun. Also, starting up trivia again later in November. Natalie, Shelley, Dustin, entire bar staff all stay there. Cocktail Wizards, as of late, my libation of choice is a classic Greyhound cocktail. They're to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair, Tasty Little Devils. Live music, pool table, pull tabs, Tuesday Night Chess Society, Bingo, Meat Raffle, Bocce Ball Thursdays, and much, much more. B-Dale's got it all. Stop by for a cold one tonight, today, now, whatever. Next up, I speak with Michael Nelson and Chris Larson of Hollow Country about their new album, Day Is Done. Michael Nelson and Chris Larson of Hollow Country. How are you guys doing today? Good. Welcome, yeah, I'm doing well. Welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Where are you guys zooming in from? Chris, go ahead. Okay, maybe we should make this a thing where... You I always go, go first. Oh, okay, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm in my studio in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm in my studio in Edina, Minnesota. Nice. Uh, Michael, wasn't your, was it called the Will Ryan's band? Was that what it was? Yeah, yeah it still is. It's, it's just my solo stuff. With the name Michael Nelson, you have to come up with something more interesting than, than that. So I, I live on, the cross street I live on is called Will Ryan. So every time I put out a solo release, it's, uh, it's under that name. Nice. Um, Chris, I'm a St. Paul guy myself. Whereabouts is your studio in St. Paul? Um, East St. Paul. How about you? I live in, I live in East St. Paul too. I've been here for my entire life. I'm fifth generation East St. Paul. Wow. Well, good for you. I'm Mm -hmm. Como Lake St. Paul. Oh, that's a good area. Via Wisconsin. But yeah, no, I love St. Paul for sure. Uh, what you working on? Chris has got a big pile of wood behind him. What you working on today? Well, I'm just trying to figure out like what I, what am I going to do with that wood pile? No, (laughs) working on I'm a I'm a musician, but also sculpture is another part of what I do. Okay, um, so working in my shop today. And Michael has some uh, record gold records and stuff behind him. Do you want to feature any of those? Talk about any of those behind you, Michael, on the show. First of all, they're they're not gold uh, records. They're just pretend trophies that I make for albums that I'm that I make. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so tell us about your guys' uh, new musical project, Hollow Country. Go ahead, Chris. Okay, well, Michael and I met in Europe in about 90 or 88, 89? 88. Oh, so 88. And so we, over conversations, discovered we knew a lot of musicians in the Twin Cities and um, both had a deep interest in playing. And I had been in a, band, in a little band with my brother, called the Lost Boys, little punk rock band, and then found some commonality, the music that we both loved, and started talking about getting a group together um, back then. And when we got back, formed a little duo um, 
put a record out and um, did a bunch of shows. And then I went off to school and kind of split it, split and then got back together in 2021 to make another record. Was that originally called the Sun Dogs? I think so, Mike. Well, we were uh, <laughs> initially for our first gig, we were Gary and the Coin Collectors. Oh, yeah. Because we thought that was a funny name. And there's mm. no name, nobody named Gary in the group. Oh, um, but uh, and then Chris, I think it was Chris that came up with the Sun Dogs. And um, so Chris went to Bethel College. I went to Gustavus. And we met, like Chris said, we met in Europe. We met in on a uh, January term art uh, class where we traveled around Europe for a month. And so I don't know where I'm going with that, but that um, that's how we got to know each other. And then when we came back, um, we most of our gigs were primarily at Gustavus. Gustavus had a, a, a little place, kind of a coffee house type thing. And we started writing songs together and we started playing some shows and Kind of to our surprise, a lot of people started showing up, especially after the first couple of shows. People liked what we were doing, and all of a sudden it became kind of a thing. We 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 would play once every couple of months, and a lot of people would come to our shows, and it was really fun. It was kind of our, our uh, first time either of us had, I think, any success in music. If, if you want to call it that, you know, I mean, where people, it seemed like people were really digging the music. So uh, we got together and made a record, uh, a nine song cassette, actually. <laughs> and, but we, you know, did it in a professional studio. And um, so it was, it was a short lived rock career together, but we've remained friends ever since. And like Chris said, he went off to, Chris got into a uh, uh, graduate school for art program and went and got his master's. And right, Chris, I did. I did. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll let you tell your own story. But anyway, so when Chris took off for art school, I wanted to keep doing music, and so our paths just kind of took different directions there. But we always stayed in touch, and we would play a little reunion show here and there maybe every 10 years or so <laughs> out of those 30 years apart. And then uh, lately we've been talking in the last few years, we've been talking about getting together and making music now that our kids are all grown up and we have a little more time to do something like that. So that's uh, kind of how we started getting, getting together and getting this thing back together. Very cool. Chris, you want to tell your story a little bit? Well, after Michael and I met and put that cassette out, we um, we played a cassette, but we played in Twin Cities just a little bit, like the fine line. We had a long-standing gig at the Pepitos, <laughs> kind of weird little side gigs. And um, yeah, then got into graduate school, went out to Yale University for grad school for two years and kind of stopped writing music during that time, but came back. And um, got involved with a couple bands, was in the House of Mercy band for 10 years. It was kind of a country gospel-ish um, Americana group that we played out for about 10 years. And then stopped doing that and um, continued writing. And when Michael and I got back together, it just felt right to 
kind of blend our voices again. I think our voices individually sound pretty unique, but I think putting them together becomes this new combined voice that sounds really beautiful, I think. When you guys are working on your new music, one of the notes I took when I was listening to Travel On, that song, and we'll ask about the story behind some of these songs in a few minutes, but it had a, to me, a Simon and Garfunkel kind of feel to it. Is there any kind of duos that do the harmonizing primarily that you reference the most or you looked up to or took some tips from the trade from? I mean, I've always been a huge fan of like the Everly Brothers or the Leuven Brothers or um, Indigo Girls or any kind of duo. And family duos always make the best blend in the voice. But I think for some reason, Mike's and I's voices come together in kind of a unique way. Very yeah, cool. I would I, I would say the same. I have the same. And I think, you know, the Simon and Garfunkel uh, comment is quite the compliment i've i've always liked simon and garfunkel and, and love their harmonies um but you know i mean i think musical tastes change as you get older and chris and i have both been listening to all kinds of music over the last 30 years since we first started making music together and when we started making this we didn't know what it was going to be uh we started strumming some guitars out on my deck and we didn't have any songs for this project. And I would say within a few months, the songs just started pouring out of both of us once we started strumming guitars again together. And before we knew it, we had 18 new songs that we had written together. And uh, we were a little lost in the shuffle once we had 18 songs, we didn't know which direction to go. But we found five songs of these 18 that we thought sounded like they could fit on a record together. And so that's how the EP uh, came together. We just picked five of what we thought worked together, and there you go. Five-song EP. Do you guys each kind of have your individual roles? Like, Chris, you do the lyrics, and Michael, you do the music and the melodies, or do you guys kind of go about it together and start from scratch? Or do you guys both come in with certain ideas? All right, so we're back with Chris Larson and Michael Nelson. For the listeners won't know this, but I want to interject it. So in the middle of our last interview, we were talking about their new record, Day Is Done, and the internet went out in my house in St. Paul internet the wi-fi the whole thing for the whole afternoon so we rescheduled this we're, we're finishing this conversation days later but uh just a little aside for the listeners um thank you guys for coming back i appreciate it you guys doing okay yeah yeah it's a good day all right <laughs> it is a good day all right what we left off was we're talking about your ep you call it day is done and i was going to ask you about a few of the songs in particular who wrote them and how you recorded them if that's cool yeah all right how about the track one travel on what's the story behind that song go ahead chris chris wrote that one okay so i wrote that one um always hesitant to just kind of say this is what it's about because I think when people listen to it they might you might have a different experience with it or different understanding but I think generally I wrote three of the songs Mike wrote two um I think generally I was thinking about what happens when we strip 
everything away from <laughs> our lives that, um, and what's left after you strip all these things away? And what are you going to do once those, if those things all disappear, what, what will you do? And so I think that's kind of the three and getting, maybe getting rid of some of those things in your life that not, maybe not important, but kind of eat up a lot of your time and energy and um, things like loops that happen within our lives. And when you take those loops out, what, what are we left with? So that's kind of, so it's minor kind of little bit of darkness in there, I guess, but also maybe hope for finding a different road. How about from a production standpoint? How do you guys produce your songs? Like that one, if I recall, it starts out really acoustic-y. Like I had a, a note here, Simon and Garfunkel-ish. Then the drums kind of kick into a cool beat. Who makes all those decisions? You guys do that collectively? Yeah. Michael, Michael was predominantly, I don't think I play, I mean, early on I was playing guitar. Um, I'm a little rusty, so I think um handed kind of everything over to Michael, except my voice. <laughs> uh, well, I, I will give Chris a compliment here, though. You know, Chris spends most of his life doing studio art. Uh, you know, he teaches. Uh, he's a professor at the U for art. He, he makes a living doing art. And he's usually building things with his hands and painting and photography and all kinds of stuff. But he doesn't spend a lot of time with a guitar in his hands anymore. And when Chris and I decided to do this record, I mean, within a couple of days, Chris is sending me these new songs that he, he had just started when we started talking about this. And like instantly I, I was almost jealous. Cause I do this, I do this for a living. I, I make, I record and produce music and write, write music all the time. And Chris <laughs> sends me these songs and I'm like, how how do you do this when you you don't do this that often and then all of a sudden you send me these beautiful songs with great potential for harmony and and it's great melodies and great lyrics and so i i was just so excited right away when chris started sending me these the songs that he was writing so hats off to chris on that so you played the drums then michael yeah i actually programmed some of the drums and um, played, you know, played all the percussion live. But yeah, it, all, all the instruments on the record are, are me playing, except for um, we had uh, Jeff Victor played some piano on it and Joe Savage played some pedal steel. And, um, and uh, my friend Randy Kramer, who is uh, the drummer in the Hillcats, which is a band I also play in, uh, Randy played some uh some cymbal swells for us on the record which we used all over the place nice how about the song on and on we go what's the story behind that song you know it's similar to the other two that i contributed for the record um which is um hollow town and travel on again about um, stripping things away. I think, you know, I think about uh, as I, I'm a sculptor and I think about either the additives process or the subtractive process. And I think that's where maybe with the production I'm, I was good at, not so much technically or playing the instruments, but take removing, what do we need to remove to let the integrity of this song 
stay within the song. Um, on and on we go. That one, you know, I was trying different chord structures and also also figuring out where a voice could go where you wouldn't expect it to go. So we go pretty high on the on the very um, tail end of the the chorus. But on, um, I think it's is it all the things we left behind. We buried them in a bottle of wine. So, you know, trying to like get things out of our life and go and see what's left after things are stripped out. Excellent. My my favorite probably on the record, I love all of them, but Star is one of my favorite ones too. Uh, who, mm. who wrote Star? I wrote Stars. Um, that, that song is about, um, well, I lost my mom um, about eight years ago and uh, went through a, and still I'm going through a, a grief process. Uh, I was close to my mom. And um, and so I think when you lose somebody that close, like a parent, and, and you have a newfound level of grief, you can, you have a new level of empathy as well for other people that go through things like that. And so uh, a good friend of mine um, lost her father uh, about a year ago, and I could, I just felt this kind of connection to her um, through the grief she was going through. And so I wrote that song just about the process of healing and um, hope and just all the feelings you go through when when you lose somebody. So that's what that song's about. Outstanding. Here's an aside question for you guys. One for each of you. Since your day job, Michael, is working at your studio, yeah. and Chris, your job is working at your visual studio, with Chris, living or dead, whose sculpture visual art studio would you have liked or would like to visit on Earth? And Michael, whose recording studio would you like mm. to visit? Of anyone living or dead? Go ahead, Chris. Well, never been asked that question. That's a great question. Um, geez. I mean, probably contemporary art. There's an artist named Mark Manders out of um, Belgium that's got a real, it's a big warehouse kind of space similar to this and sectioned it off with plastic, but has multiple things going on at the same time. Nothing, you know, jumps from one project to the next project to the next project. And it all sort of bubbles up. Some things may work, some things may not. Um, a sculptor working in multiple different materials. Um, so maybe I'll stay, I'll stay with Mark on that one. Nice. How about you, Michael? Uh, well, I love studios. I spend a lot of time, too much time sometimes on YouTube, looking at people's studios and going through studio tours. But I would say if I just had to pick one off the top of my head, uh, Peter Gabriel's studio, Real World. That looks like a, an amazing studio. Where's that? Uh, I think it's in Bath, England. I could be wrong, but I think it's in Bath. 
Very cool. Um, yeah, I'll answer it too. Because I, I think I have more affinity. I mean, I love these spaces that the records came out of. And I did get to visit Sun Studios in Memphis, which was amazing, just to see the walls that absorbed all that sound. But I think also like Muscle Shoals and Stax and the Motown studio. I mean, all the Abbey Road would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. that would be cool too. Yeah, yeah, that would be up there. That would be on the top of my list as well. Abbey Road. Can you still record there? It seems to me like I've heard one of my friends recorded at Abbey Road. You can still track yeah. there? Yeah, people still do. Yep, that's open for business. How's your rates compared to Abbey Road, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can get a better deal with me. <laughs> Chris, I actually got one more question for you in the sculpting world. Um, so I do therapy dog work during the day, and I drive all over with work-based learning students going. And so every week I have to go to maple grove to work at this school and my work-based learning student goes to a, a, a high school in st paul and so we have to take go through minneapolis i don't go through minneapolis a ton i'm a total st paul guy and so i go past the cherry and the spoon sculpture and i actually have an art degree and i was a certified k-12 whatever teacher and i did a paper on klaus oldenburg and kutzi van bruggen who did that sculpture. I believe that's how you say it. But I'm at a loss for the blue chicken. What's the story? What's up with that sculpture? Well, it's the blue cock. The blue cock. <laughs> <laughs> and the artist is Katrina Frisch out of, I think she's German. Um, might be wrong. Um, but does a lot of these kind of monochrome, one color um, sculptures. I think it was probably trying to rival... Um, the Oldenburg, um, Kusi, um, Spoon and Cherry, but does not do it. It does not do it at all, Chris. All right. So when, when's your, uh, what's your guys' social media stuff if people want to follow you or check out your new EP? Any, any big shows coming up? No, we, we don't have any shows booked right now, and, and I don't think we are going to play very much. Um, we'll probably do some sort of a little party release thing at some point but we don't even have anything booked the the our our new ep is uh gonna be on all the platforms apple music and spotify on uh, october 31st so that's coming up halloween. And, uh, yeah halloween and then yeah hollow hollow country on halloween and then um you can find our music at uh bandcamp um, under hollow country. And, um, that's about it. We don't really have a website or anything. This we're kind of, uh, under the radar right now, but now that we're on this podcast, we'll, we should be rich and famous soon. Yeah. Like my old drummer, Ben Kaplan used to say, man, after this, I'm just going to go home and wait for the phone to ring. <laughs> Or I like to say, we're just going to put on sunglasses and not talk to anybody now. Bringing home this week's episode of the Minnesota Music Shakedown is another new track by one of the featured guests this week, Hollow Country, with their song Travel On. Thanks to Andrew Crowley from Organica Recording for assisting in post-production. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Music. If you like what I do, check out my website, MarkStarryMusic.com. For song or artist submissions, please email me at MarkStarryMusic at gmail.com or message me on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time.
darkness comes our way, then we'll be on our way. When trouble fills the I'll take you anywhere Even if we're wrong Don't care if we belong All our dreams explode We'll find another road Travel on to travel on to travel on. Is it freedom that we want? Do the things. Yeah.